We're going to study tonight a controversial ruling of the Gonim about 1,200 years ago, and then a series of later tshuvas and other halakhic sources discussing, weighing the pros and cons, and then the merits of this ruling. A little bit of background. The Gaonim, the Rishonim often said, kol divrei divrei kabbalah, everything they say has inherent authority. They often don't prove what they say or provide sources. The Gaonim were considered to have enough authority, even though they were post-Talmudic, to just say things and we generally accept them, except when we don't, except when we have problems. We're going to be discussing tonight a ruling of the Gaonim which they just asserted uh, without proof, just they just said this is the halacha. For about 700 years, nobody had much of a problem with it. Beginning about 400 years ago, Poskim struggled with this ruling. They found that it was uh, very disturbing. This, th- th- this progression really perhaps follows a, a general progression from a uh, kind of stricter, more draconian world to a kinder, gentler world that we live today. I don't know if I can read that much into it, but, but it is interesting to follow how, how attitudes toward this ruling, how different attitudes appear in the different postgame over the last thousand years or so. The question has to do with the laws of cherem, the laws of excommunication. We don't really practice excommunication much today. Excommunication pretty much uh, ended about a century, a century and a half ago. The reason was that governments began to crack down. European governments did not like the Jews having that power, so they began to ban the ban, so to speak. That's why you'll find on Svarim, Svarim of the 19th century, you'll often find notes. Anytime the word cherem appears, there'll be a whole uh, disclaimer. Of course, this only applies when the government allowed Jews to, to practice, uh, to implement the cherem. Of course, this doesn't apply today. So... Jews stopped uh, using the ban as a tool of societal control, and it never really recovered. But the Talmud, Moit Katan, has extensive discussions about the ban, different flavors of the ban, Nidui, Cherem, Vashamta. We say that in Ataras and Dharam, Nidui, Cherem, Vashamta, Nachash. Um, the extensive halachas about the ban, what the consequences of the various forms of the ban were. And we see in halacha that the ban was taken very, very seriously. The ban was considered a kind of a nuclear option. It was taken very, very seriously by people. Not everyone gave in when placed under the ban, but it was considered a very, very powerful tool. That's why the governments didn't like it. They didn't want the Jews having that much control. But the ban, the various, various forms of cherem, were taken very, very seriously by communities, by individuals. It was one of the most powerful and important tools that Jewish communities had for keeping society in line for policing behavior, moral behavior, antisocial behavior. And the ban was instituted for a variety of reasons. We're not going to be discussing in in so much detail the exact circumstances that merit being placed under the ban. But this is the the law of the cherem. It goes back to the the Gemara in detail. And this was a, uh, a major body of halacha for about a thousand years or so for almost 2,000 years until, uh, until the last century or two. The question we're going to be dealing with tonight, the specific question, begins with a ruling, a family of rulings that were issued by the Gaonim about 1,200 years ago. The question was, we, we apply various sanctions, various specific sanctions to someone who's placed under the ban, various commercial sanctions, social sanctions, and so on. And the question is, can we extend the sanctions 
beyond the person himself to his family. A person is not behaving properly, can we extend our social sanctions to his wife and children? This is the question that was considered by the Gaonim, and let's see how they, how they approach this. So we have, again, we have, we have, a, we have a family of tshuvas that are largely similar. The tshuva is often attributed to Rav Palto Gon, a Gon who lived in Pumbadisa, about 8, 850, I think they say. He was, uh, he was a noted Gon from uh, he, he, circa 820 to 858, Gon of Pumbadisa from 841 until 858 of the Common Era. So, some versions of this tshuva are attributed to other Gonim. And so on, but this was a this is a widely quoted. We'll see several versions of it. A widely quoted tshuva of the Gaonim, among the earliest tshuvas we've covered in reading responsa. They asked the they asked Rapal to Egon v'shashaltem cherem v'shamta dabar echad hu olo. As we mentioned, there are three terms for for cherem and chazal nidui cherem v'shamta. They asked if cherem and shamta are the same thing, so he decides to give a a general background on the some of the details of cherem and shamta. He explains they're not quite the same thing. He says Nida is the first step. They first place somebody in Nida, which is a milder form of excommunication. If, he, if this goes on for 30 days and he doesn't retreat from his bad behavior, then we go to the full nuclear option, the Cherem. What, what happens when he's in the Cherem? We exclude him from Klal Yisrael. Specifically, what do we do? He says we, we write a, a formal edict of Cherem and it reads as follows. We make a kind of, uh, before they had uh, internet and Twitter and email, press releases, we issue a letter, we write, Ploni ben Ploni, regarding so-and-so, we write L'chachamim, V'rasha Yeshiva, Suzekenim, we send this out to leaders of the Jewish community, in another tshuva, they say they wrote this to the Yeshivas and Batek Nisayos, to the Yeshivas and the Shuls, <coughs> they would write, uh, Hello, Shalom Chem Yerba, Yarba, this is to inform you that Ploni ben Ploni, why is he in Cherem? So they give a couple of reasons he's in Cherem, either because he owes somebody money, and we have demanded that he pay, and he has refused to accept that, so he's in arrears on a civil claim. Oh, over Avera Achas, he has sinned, he's done an Avera, and we've judged him, and we've demanded that he repent and uh, improve, and he hasn't accepted so we first placed him in Nidui for 30 days. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't budged. He hasn't backed down. So now we are putting him in Cherem, and this is as follows. Tzivinu v'achramnu also. We have placed him under the Cherem. Af'atam, we, we ask of you as well, please impose and enforce the Cherem every day. And this is what you should do. Hachrizu alav shapito pas kusi. The following list of sanctions are not from the Talmud. These are extra Talmudic sanctions that were imposed by the Gaonim, this is the heart of the matter, announced that his bread is paskusi, pasakum. We actually are not particularly stringent about pasakum today. We buy pasakum. We uh, accept for Shabbos and Yom Tovim and Aseris Mechuva. Most of us generally buy pasakum. Hasidim are more strict about it. Yeno Yayanesach. His wine should be considered non-kosher, like Yayanesach, like non-Jewish wine. Peros of Tfalim. Any produce that he has should be considered tevel as if it didn't have Truman Master taken off from it, and it's prohibited to eat. Svarov Sifre Kosmim, his books, his Svarim are Sifre Kosmim, like the books of magicians. Not quite sure what that means, whether it means his Sefer Torah and Tefillin is not kosher, or something else, I'm not sure. Chachu Tzitzosov, cut off his tzitzis, Akru Mezuzaso, remove his mezuzos. Vlotochluimo, don't uh, eat with him. 
Lotishtuimo, don't drink with him. And now we get to the, the, the line that proved uh, very controversial several hundred years later. Lotamolu Loben, don't circumcise his children. Lotalamdu Esban of Torah, Basic Nessus, do not teach his children Torah in the synagogue. That's where they used to teach the children, apparently. Lotikbru Lomes, don't bury his dead. Don't provide any Hebra Kadisha services for him. Baal Tachnisu Lechevras Mitzvah, don't include him in any society of mitzvah. And not into any uh, non mitzvah society either. Treat him like as if he's a non Jew, as if he's totally uh, out, out of the Jewish community. So we do all these various sanctions. Of particular interest to us tonight are the ones that affect his family. Don't circumcise his children, don't give them a bris milah, don't teach his children Torah, don't bury his dead. And uh, those are the three that Rav Paltai go and mentioned. We have another tshuva of the Gaonim, very similar. The language largely overlaps with a few differences. One critical difference we'll mention in a moment. So the other tshuva begins the same way. Ezu cherem, ezu shamta. What's a cherem, what's a shamta? So again, he explains that we write this letter. Well, by the time we reach the cherem, we write a letter to the yeshivas and Batek Nisayas. We inform you that Ploni ben Ploni is chayev. He's, uh, he's due, he's, he's penalized, for he's, he's guilty of such and such. We have... Uh, passed judgment upon him, he has not accepted, we first placed him in the mild form, milder form of Nidoy, he hasn't, uh, he hasn't budged, we have imposed the cherem, and you too, to, 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 to whom it may concern, you too, we ask, please uh, enforce the cherem, and hachrimu v'nidoy, so tamid b'chal yom, pito paskusi, yeno yeinesech, perosov tevel, svarov sifrei kosmim, chachchut tzitzis shalom, akrum izanosov, here it says, not sure if that was a typo in what I wrote, but Altus Paolo Imo, Valtamulu Banov, don't pray with him, don't, uh, don't, don't pray with him, don't do the, don't do, don't do Brismila for him, Alilamdu Banov Beis Midrash, don't teach his children Torah in Beis Midrash, Altik Brulo Mace, don't, uh, don't bury his dead, Valyischaber Imachem, this is a very similar language in another tshuva, another tshuva of the Gaon, very similar to Rapalti. The, the key line I wanted to see is not actually this one. The key line I wanted to see, dealing with his wife, is one that we're going to get to, one that we're going to get to soon. Uh, just regarding the language of this one, I read, I read Mizanosov. I'm just checking the language to make sure I did not. Yeah, Mizanosov is the word here rather than Mizuzosov. Okay, this is a very similar tshuva. This tshuva, as I said, was widely known to the, the Chachmei Masora for several hundred years. We find a version of it appears as well in the Rivash, in the Tshuva's Rivash in the 14th century. So he brings from Rav Rabbeinu Usher of Lunel in Provence, he brings the name of Rav Haigon. Rav Haigon, another one of the Gaonim, either it's a different tshuva, saying roughly the same thing, or the tshuva was attributed to different Gaonim, but he also says, he gives the various uh, rules about the muhram, wh- which sanctions pertain to a muhram. So he says, Ein shosin, v'ochlin, el ishto, gives various uh, restrictions on, on what you can do to a muhram. And then he says, uh, he goes on, and then he says, he says that they would, uh, the Gaonim, he says, added various chumros beyond the sanctions of the Talmud. They were, they were hechmer harbe b'gzerosam, and they, they, they were extremely strict when they placed somebody in Nidui, and they write, again, Gaonim, this is, this is maybe Rapalti Gaon, maybe somebody else, 
Someone who's chayev to lechaveiro. This is apparently a civil claim. He's chayev to somebody else. He's uh, infringed on the rights of somebody else. He's refused to accept the judgment of Beistin. He's flouted the decrees of Beistin. Beistin writes lekilos Yisrael. They write a letter to the. They write. They write an announcement to all the communities of Israel. Ploni gazarnu alavdin v'sirev. We've passed judgment on him. He has flouted our our verdict. Hachramnu asoshli yispalel basara. He shouldn't dam with a minion. Shouldn't even participate in a zimun, in a uh, zimun of three people. Most of us probably wouldn't lose a lot of sleep if we were denied the ability to participate in a zimun, but I guess you have to be there to understand why that would be such a painful sanction. Don't do a brismila for his child. Don't bury his dead. Expel his kids, suspend his kids from school. And furthermore, you, you expel his wife from shul as well, until he, uh, until he, uh, he accepts the din. So the sanctions, so Rapal Tregon said, the sanctions extend to his children. You, expect, you suspend or expel them from school. And this version of the Gonim says that it extends to his wife as well. <coughs> you expel her from shul, you, you tell her she's not welcome in shul either, until her husband, <coughs> until her husband cleans up his act and uh, behaves properly and cooperates. Then he brings the tshuva of uh, Rapaltegon and so on. And the Rivash writes, these are all chumrits yuseros, these are all beyond anything we find in the Gemara. The Gaonim used to, uh, used to be very strict about those who violated their cherems. They, they were Gaoneolam, and they were like the Sanhedrin, Vahayuel Kolbne Hagola, Kisanhedrin, I'll call Yisrael, they had the authority to do this. However, the Rivash already says, I, I, say, I said before that, uh, that nobody, nobody challenged the Gaonim. The Rivash does not challenge the Gaonim, but he says, in later generations, we don't have the authority and the, we don't have the majesty of the Gaonim. Since he's a din of the Gemara, we can do as well. Whatever the Gemara says we can do, we do kafi din Gemara. But these extra, these extra levels of Chumrah and, uh, and powerful sanctions, even the ones that extend to the family and these other very severe sanctions, the Rivash says that we don't actually do that anymore. We go back to the din of the Gemar. However, yes? Um, so again, I'm not so familiar with all the details, all the different levels. The, the Gonim are, are saying that Cherem is worse than Nidui. I, I don't have all the halacha in my fingertips right now, but... Uh, um, the common abbreviation is Nidu Cherem Shamta. Cherem, I think, actually is worse. So that, I think they, they said that to spell out Nachash, which was kind of uh, like a snake, which was meant to have a kind of uh, uh, that that was more for the for the the, the acronym than anything. But I, 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 the the Gonim at least are assuming that Cherem is the Cherem is the most serious. I believe. Oh, Robert Grossman. Yes. Uh, Aaron Seifer, just a quick question. Is there any sense of the frequency with which these were done within those communities? Is this an extremely rare thing, um, like Bain Saramora kind of thing, or like did this happen uh, to like you know one percent of the population in these places? Was it something that, that they had to take seriously? It's a good question. The, the the actual frequency with which they were applied, I don't know. Is it something that was again like the nuclear option that the, the mere threat of its being done was enough to keep people in line, or was it actually imposed frequently? I don't know. Scholars have probably uh, written articles and books on this, trying to document the how often the cherem was actually used. Um, I'm not sure. The, the, the details of the sanctions mentioned here 
have the feel of, of pragmatic ones. It, it feels like these were things that were actually used rather than theoretical. But again, how frequently? I don't actually know. It's a good question, and I, I don't really ha- I don't have a real answer for you. So Muka Yosef also also a roughly contemporary of the Rivash. The Muka Yosef bring also brings Rapalte Gon's Chuva. He actually includes Ishtomi Besiknesis as well in the list of things that Rapalte Gon said we do. Muka Yosef has no comment on uh, not doing this Bismanazeh. And despite the Rivash's claim that uh, we don't do this in post gonic times, the Ramah, so in the mid, mid-16th century, the Ramah in Shulchan Aruch writes, Basin has Rishus. Again, how often the Ramah thought this was done, we don't know, but the Ramah says it's a matter of codified halacha, even post-Talmudic times, even today, in 16th century today, even in his time, he says, Basin has Rishus, lahachmer alav, if Basin wishes they can impose sanctions beyond the Talmudic ones on someone placed under the ban. What kind of sanctions? That we're not going to circumcise his children. We're not going to bury him if he dies. The, the Gaunim had said that we're not going to bury uh, his dead, his children, or his family, but he says we're not going to bury him. We will expel his kids from school if they want. He brings that one as well. We will, we will expel his wife from the synagogue until he uh, bends, uh, bends his neck to our yoke, until he cooperates with what we have said. So until the time of the... So from the time of the Gaonim, in you know, the 9th century of the Common Era, until the Ramaz time, through the Ramaz time in the 16th century, there was no real debate about what the Gaonim said. Even the Rivash, the Rivash said, we don't do this Bismanazeh, we, 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 we no longer do this, we don't have the authority of the Gaonim. He didn't challenge the right of the Gaonim to do it. And all the other sources don't make any mention of the fact that this is limited to the Gaonim. The other Rishonim just mentioned that we do this. And the Ramah and Shulchan Aruch, the Ramah felt this was still a, a, li- a living halacha, that we still have Rishos to do this. And nobody, more importantly, nobody had any, had any moral or ethical concern about the fact that we are punishing a person's innocent children or wife for his uh, misbehavior. No one seems to have had any moral objection. Again, they lived in a uh, they lived in a more draconian world, a uh, less kind and gentle than ours, and this was seen as normal, as reasonable to uh, bring consequences crashing down on people's families if they refuse to cooperate with their religious and civil obligations. Around the time of the Ramad, though, we find that some of the post-Kumavashkinas had a very hard time with this. Note, most notably, the Marshal and the Taz. Marshal was an older contemporary of the Rama. Taz was a little bit later. Marshal and the Taz both had a lot of trouble with this idea of the Gaonim. Now, again, normally an Akron from, from the time of the Marshal wouldn't have the temerity to challenge a ruling of the Gaonim, which had gone unchallenged for 600 years. But Marshal was, just, Marshal was very independent, but also Marshal was just so appalled by this idea. He, he had something closer to our modern sensibilities how on earth can we start punishing the children for their father's bad behavior? Marshall wasn't even so much concerned about the right of the child. He was more concerned with the idea of Bittal Torah. He says, Chalila, Chazal tell us the whole world, the whole world survives because of the, the merit of the, of the pure Torah of little children, he says. Mila, he says, all right, Mila is the mitzvah of the Av, it's the covet of the Av, and the father makes a bris, it's a, it's a great simcha for him. Fine, we understand. We're not going to do bris milah. That he can accept for his children. We're not going to bury his dead. It's his job. It's his, it's his covered to provide for a proper burial for his family. All right, that's a punishment for him. He's willing to accept that. 
you can argue it's not fair to the deceased to let them uh, just be abandoned like that. All right, Marshall can swallow even that. Talmud Torah, he says, of Tinokos, to, to take them out of school, he says, particularly Torah. I don't know if you take them just out of secular studies. They probably didn't go to a lot of secular studies in Poland in the 16th century, but if you take them out of Limud Echol, I'm not sure how much the Marshall would have cared. But certainly when it comes to Devrei Torah, he says, Im Tazveni Yom, Yomayim Azveka, leaving Torah even temporarily, is a, is a terrible thing. The consequences are grave, he says. So the Marshal says that that's absolutely that. That, 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 just, doesn't, that just can't be right, he says. Similarly, the other Chumrah of the Gaonim, to expel his wife from the shul, that's, that's not fair. And here, he makes, uh, again, the, here he makes the modern argument, he says, that that's not fair at all. A married couple are, are one, uh, but they're separate moral individuals. She, she's not chayev for what he does. She has the bad fortune to be married to a miscreant, but why, why should she be made to suffer sanctions for his bad behavior? He says, that's not fair at all. He says, uh, to humiliate a Bas Yisrael, to humiliate a woman because her husband is behaving badly, that just, doesn't, that just can't be right, he says. The Gon couldn't possibly have said this. This is a, a common trope in halachic literature. If you feel that something is just so unreasonable by someone you respect as Nadam Gadol, Sometimes you say he couldn't possibly have said it. Whether people really mean that, that as a matter of actual historical fact, he didn't say it, whether it's a polite way of saying they disagree. Uh, Kipshuto, he, he didn't believe it. You know, the Gaonic literature is often misattributed. We often don't have uh, fully reliable attributions. They're often kind of uh, fragments and, uh, and uh, just uh, presumptive attributions. So the Marshal simply cannot accept that we would cause bittel Torah of children. He cannot accept that we punish a woman for her husband's misdeeds. Therefore, he says, this is not lahalacha, this is not correct, and he says, the Gon couldn't possibly have said these things, and all the later Akronim bring these comments of the Marshal, that it just doesn't make any sense that we would, uh, does not make any sense that we would do this to the, to the, to, to the children learning Torah, or to the woman, which is not fair at all. He says, so, so that, that's the Marshal. The Taz the Taz, he says, goes even further. He says, Marshal, you should ask even more. Burial, he says, does burial make sense? He says, good, it's a, it's not a, it's a disgrace for him. What about the mace? The mace didn't do anything wrong. We know covered a mace is a big deal. It's not just for their living relatives. We take, the, we take the idea of showing proper respect to the deceased. We take this very seriously. So what kind of business is this? They can allow a mace to just not be buried because the, because the, the person responsible for his kvur is behaving badly. So the marshal to the Taz, the Taz is willing to accept the Gon somewhat, but he, he reduces the scope of what the Gon said, particularly with regard to children. The Taz says something, again, which is not, uh, not it may grate a little bit on our modern ears, but he says, certainly these penalties do not apply to adult children. He says, the, he says certainly, it doesn't, certainly the wife, he agrees to the marshal, that certainly we cannot force a man's wife, an adult Jewish woman, we cannot penalize her and humiliate her for her husband's sins. Even children, he says, adult children, and uh, that they certainly don't have to be, uh, they certainly cannot be penalized for the sins of their father. However, he says, what the gun was talking about was minor children. Minor children, the way he describes them, they're basically uh, extensions of the parents, they have no schus mitzan Today, you know, we, today we take the opposite view. Children are full human beings. They have full rights. So the parents uh, have no right to uh, override their rights. But that was not the traditional view. The traditional view was 
uh, young children, the parents have, uh, do have rights over them. That they, 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 they doesn't mean they can abuse them, but, 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 the, but the children are considered to some extent simply extensions of their parents when they're young. They're tluyim v'omdim b'schus shalaviyim. They're the ones you can mock of their kfura, and uh, the same thing for, for Talmud Torah, young children. So them, they, they have no real, their independent rights aren't that strong. They, they're, they're primarily extensions of their parents. So yeah, so in that case, I don't know why she's not an extension of his mother as well, but apparently it's an extension primarily of his father. And you can penalize children not to bury them if, if they pass away or not to, not to allow them in school. Minor children, uh, the Taz says, you can, they have to suffer for, their parents, for the sins of their fathers. Adult children certainly do not. We'll see a little bit later, hopefully. Rav Ben-Sion Meir Chayuzil has a tshuva where he discusses this marshal in the Taz. And he actually qualifies even further. He says that when the Taz says there's a chiluk between gedolim and ketanim, between big children and small children, small children, he says, it doesn't mean big children bar mitzvah. He says, even before that, once they're higiyulach l'alchinuch, he says, they already are considered independent and they have their own rights and they're, they're, they're little people already, he says, the Taz is talking about kodim shigiyulachinach, relatively young children, two, three, or the, those kinds of children. That's what the Taz means. They're just considered uh, extensions of their parents and not considered independent people. So the, the Taz is willing to, ex- not totally right off the Gones ruling, but, but like the Marshal, he, he, he doesn't accept that it can apply to adult Jews, and he therefore limits it to small children who are, who are not really independent people, he says. But uh, that much he's willing to concede what the Gones says, but he's not willing to accept this halacha applied to adults. There are a number of other tshuvas uh, also on this topic. The Chath himself raised a tshuva. He also grapples with the, also grapples with the marshal, with the, with the marshal's question, how could we possibly punish children and women for their, uh, for their, uh, for their, father, for their father and husband's sins? He actually does, does come out uh, justifying on theological grounds doing this. He, he makes a very curious argument. He says that in general, Hashem does not punish someone for something that's not his fault. So he says, if the poor child would like to go to school and learn Torah, and we tell him, sorry, no can do, it's uh, your, father is being, uh, your father is bad, and therefore we will not allow you in school, the child then is an onus, he's not accepted to school, and therefore the child doesn't really suffer, because Hashem will give him schar, as, uh, Hashem will give him the same schar as if he went to school and learned Torah. Uh, the, woman, the woman as well, he says, the schar of the Isha, she wants to go to shul, she wants to learn Torah, she wants to daven, he says, we don't let her in, she doesn't suffer, he says, uh, because she tried, she, uh, she, she wanted to do the right thing. So she doesn't, Pashtas you learn, Pashtas we would have understood, when they can't go to school and they can't learn Torah, they suffer for other reasons, not just because they don't get the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. My son would be quite upset if he couldn't go to school. That's his social life, that's where his friends are, he enjoys school. Not, not, not all kids do, I guess, some kids are Borek, the base of Sefer, women, some women like to go to shul, some women like to go to shul to daven, some women like to go to shul to, to see and be seen, to, to, to catch up with their friends also. We find, uh, in general, Rishonim tell us that women not going to shul was considered uh, a great source of Agmas Nefesh, at least on certain special occasions. So, some Sefer seems to understand that the whole problem with not going to shul in school is religious, that they, that they don't get the schar of the mitzvah. He says, yeah, they will get the schar. If we deny them access because we refuse to let them go, they won't suffer. Hashem will still give them, Hashem will still give them schar. But the only one who will suffer will be the parents. The, par- the parents are the ones who are not going to get schar by their children and wives and davening and learning Torah. So the bad parent is the one who suffers, and he's the one we're trying to punish. So that's what the marshal claims, that the kids uh, won't really suffer, the, the wife won't really suffer by, 
by, they themselves will not suffer by not going to shul and school. All right. They used to, uh, they used to tell us this in yeshiva. They used to say that the Gemara says that uh, if a man learns Torah, he gets Elam Haba. And if a woman helps, uh, helps her husband learn Torah, she gets, she gets Chayar of Talmud Torah as well. And they used to say that uh, the woman has a much easier job. If the, because if the husband doesn't learn, he wastes time, he doesn't, uh, doesn't, 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 doesn't utilize his time well, he'll forfeit his char. He won't get Elam Haba. The woman, it's not her fault. She made the sacrifices that uh, she, she worked harder and, and deprived herself of sleep and leisure and luxuries and so on. She did whatever she could. It's not, it's not her fault that her husband is a slacker, so the, she'll get schar anyway. So that's the basic point that the Chassam Sofer is making. He's saying that the child who can't go to school and learn Torah, the woman who can't go to shul and daven, they won't suffer, they'll get schar. We're not actually punishing them, he says. Therefore, the only one we're punishing is the, is the, is the husband, the father himself, and he's the one who deserves to be punished for his recalcitrance. So again, so we have, from the time of the Gaonim until, until the Ramah, nobody really had any problem morally with the ruling of the, of the Gaon, that we expel the wife, expel the children. Around the, around the turn of the 17th century, we find some of the Achronim struggle with this. We find, the, we find that the Marshal simply rejected these halachas out of hand. We find the Taz had problems, but the Taz was willing to accept them if they're limited to, uh, to very young children who are not really independent people in the, in the view of the Torah. We find the Chassam Sofer, who has a, uh, the Chassam Sofer has a interesting theological justification for it. So for the next several hundred years, we find uh, some ambivalence about this ruling of the Gon. Should we really accept this? Should we punish the, the innocent wife and children of the, of, the, of the miscreant, or should we not? There's an interesting tshuva of the Shvos Yaakov, one of the great poskim, the, the, the great Amudim of Halacha, Rav Yaakov Reischer. He was, well, he was asked about a, a curious question, which has a, not a curious question, it's one that has great resonance today. His question was, there was a man, a terrible person, he was a moster, he, uh, he, he, did, he, he was deserving of Nidu Vishamta, and this man had a daughter. The daughter was married, the, the son-in-law, the, the, the husband of his daughter died and the couple was childless. She needs chalitza. So apparently the brother of the husband was willing to give her chalitza, as he's supposed to. But the question was, should Bastin hold up the chalitza and basically deliberately render the woman in Aguna as pressure against her father to get him to, uh, to bow his head to the, to the will of the Bastin, to the will of the community? So the question was, can we target this innocent woman, this presumably innocent woman, can, can we render her naguna as pressure against her father? Says the Shavos Yaakov. My initial response would be yes, he says, because we have the gun. The gun said that when somebody is deserving of being placed under the ban, we uh, nail his whole family to the wall. We, uh, we punish his children, we punish his wife. They all have to suffer. We, we, we can turn the screws on all of them in order to put pressure on the miscreant himself. He brings the, some posts can use the language of Migdar Milsa, that Basin has the right to act extrajudicially, extralegally, in order to enforce the Torah, to hold up the laws of the Torah. So he says, on the one hand, you can argue, based on the Gon, we have the right to uh, make innocent people suffer in our quest to uh, break the will of the Russia. However, he says, we have the Marshal. We have the Marshal who says Khalila, that uh, to Torah, to, to, to go after someone's wife. The Marshal says Khalila, how can you do such a thing? And the Marshal says, 
Says the Shavuos Yaakov. What's the halacha? As a matter of halacha, he says, we, we, as a matter of halacha, he says, the marshal is wrong, we follow the Beis Yosef and the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah, we follow the Gon. As a matter of halacha, he says, we reject the marshal. Marshal was very bold, but he has, he has no authority, he has no ability to dismantle a, uh, a standard psaq codified in Shulchan Aruch. However, says the Shavuos Yaakov, we're not going to take it any further. He says, they were talking about a child, he says, a children in Beis Sefer, an adult married woman, the, a married woman is considered Sabal. she's considered to have left her father's home, she enters her husband's home, he says, to make her an Aguna, he says, Aguna is such a terrible thing, throughout Shas and all the Rishonim, probably what most of you were, uh, were thinking, throughout Shas and Rishonim and Achronim, the Chazal were so worried about Aguna, he says, and the Chalitz also, the, 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 the brother has a mitzvah to do Chalitz, he says. He's not involved in this uh, family disaster, he says. The Kubalim say it's, it's bad for the deceased also to, to not have Chalitz. So he says, certainly to do such, a, do such a drastic step, to make her an Aguna, to prevent the mitzvah of Chalitz, to make the mace suffer, to make the woman suffer. The woman is already, is already married and out of the house. She's no longer a dependent of his anymore, he says, a halachic dependent of his. He says, even though, it's, even though it's true, Mekubalim can't establish the halacha, he says, we, we don't establish halacha based on Kabbalah, he says. However, he says, on, here on the contrary, the Gonim are the ones who are extending the halacha far beyond anything found in the Talmud. The Talmud has no, has no trace of any such sanctions on family, he says. We'll accept the Gonim, but we're not going to take it any further. We'll accept the, exactly what they said, but not an inch further. Kids out of school, fine. Wife out of shul, Fine, but to make her an aguna, he says, to, to, to block her, to block her chalitza, he says, to block her chalitza, he says, that we will not do. So at the end of the day, he arrives at the conclusion that most of us would probably have assumed that no, we will not, uh, we will not force her to be an aguna as a means of turning the screws on her father. However, he says, one last line where he takes back some of what he just uh, gave up, he says, this is all if she's innocent. If she herself is not to blame for her father's bad behavior, and we're just using her as a pawn in our struggle with the father, that, he says, no, we're not going to make her an aguna, that, that, that's, that's just not something we're going to do. However, if she's involved, he says, if, if she was involved in whatever bad behavior he was guilty of, if Bemerit Uvamal Hazos, if she was involved, he says, of course we can punish her, he says, make her, he says, and of course we can punish her, absolutely we can punish her, we can, we can do whatever we want to her as a form of pressure, sanction, uh, and so on, make an example of her, that, that's fine. It doesn't say what form that would take. The implication is make her an aguna if you need to. But uh, if she's innocent, he says, then he agrees that we're not going to use her as a pawn in our struggle against, the, against her father. We're not going to use her to apply pressure to the father. And we can use her in certain limited ways, like expelling people from shul, but we're not going to make a woman an aguna in our quest to uh, break the will of the father. So we have a major machlok sakronim. We have the, the Gaonim, the Ramah, who said, fine, we're allowed to punish the dependents, the wife and children of the, of the Avaryan. We have the Taz and the Marshal who have grave difficulties with this. We have the, 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 the Shavuz Yaakov who accepts the Ramah but says, it's a great Chiddush, don't take it any farther. We have the Chasim Sofer who gives an elaborate theological justification for it. The Archa Shulchan, the Archa Shulchan also accepts the Ramah. He accepts that the halacha is like the Gonim. We do have the right to punish children and women for, their, for the head of the household's behavior. He says, why? Why do we do that? He says, he says we don't do it as punishment. I, I've been kind of conflating tonight punishment with deterrence. He says, we have to distinguish between the two. He says, 
as a, as a means of uh, compelling him to give in, we do it, he says, not as a means of punishment. He says that simply to punish, punishment only applies to the person himself. We're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to carpet bomb and, and, and cause collateral damage, maybe indirect collateral damage. We're not going to deliberately target a person's family for punishment. However, he says, as a means of compelling him to give in, that he says we will do. That's included in the principle of Lamigdar Milsa. Lamigdar Milsa, Simon Beis and Simon Beis and Shulchan Aruch in Choshen Mishpat. Lamigdar Milsa is this incredibly powerful doctrine that even though we have entire Shas, entire Shulchan Aruch delineating the, the right to the Beistin, the power of the Beistin, all kinds of rules restricting what they can do, standards of evidence, judicial procedure, and so on, but Lamigdar Milsa kind of in one, in one sentence grants a Beistin extraordinary power to to regulate society, they can do whatever it takes, they can act extrajudicially in order to uh, maintain the peace and to enforce halacha and to, and to keep society running correctly. There's really no limit to what they can do. The Gemara says they once executed somebody for doing an Isra Jarabanan, and uh, they can do whatever they want, they can do whatever it takes to uh, whatever they think uh, society needs at this point in time. And therefore, he, the Aruch HaShulchan says, it's true that we don't punish children for what their parents did. It's true that all these things under normal halacha, normal rules of punishment, we wouldn't do. But Lamegdar Milsef, we're trying to accomplish a specific goal and to stop a Russia from getting away with bad behavior. Lamegdar Milsef has no rules. We can do anything, he says, including, including using a person's wife and children as pawns in, uh, in, in, in our quest to force him to back off from his rishas. So it all depends, it all depends. If, if, if we just want to punish him and make an example of him, so the next guy should do differently, maybe not, even though that's also a Migdar Milsa sometimes, and the Mars examples of Migdar Milsa, when you kill somebody, obviously you don't undo his Chol Shabbos, you just uh, teach everyone else a lesson. So somehow the Arch is not clear exactly how, how widely he defines Migdar Milsa, he doesn't explain very much, but he just says that if, if we think we can get him to give in, that's included in Migdar Milsa, if it's just a punishment, then we are, then we're not going to do it. I saw a contemporary tshuva by a Rabbi Shmuel Baruch Genuth. He talks about a case of a child, a child in school. The child is doing very well, and uh, his parents are not behaving so, so well. His parents have begun to diverge from the path of the Torah. They want to know if they should expel the kid because his parents are not behaving properly. So he goes through this, this whole discussion, whether we uh, punish a child for the sins of his parents, as a means of putting pressure on his parents, teaching his parents a lesson. And he ultimately concludes that, he brings many of these achronim, and he says that it's true that there is a sheet to the gaonim, which some achronim accept, that, we're, that, we're, uh, that there is such a possibility of punishing children, he says. Not everyone can just do that. That's not a prerogative of a local schoolmaster, he says. You need a in, you need, you need rabbanim, he says. You can't just, people can't just arbitrarily do that, he says. For, on the other hand, he says, throwing a kid out of school today is not the same as telling a kid he can't go to school at all. Back then, there was a community school. You can't go to school. You're done. You stay home. Here, he says, there are lots of schools. You can go to another school, he says. Depends, I guess, what you're blacklisting him for. If you're blacklisting him for something that no school will take his kid, I guess that's worse. But if it's just that uh, your school doesn't want parents like this, the other school has no problem with it, let him go to the other school. Let him move somewhere else, he says. So he, he gets into these kinds of calculations. And... Uh, Furthermore, he says, of course, this is only if the parents' conduct, the school doesn't think, is improperly impacting the, the kid and the school. If they think that the parents are 
causing problems for the school, that's a whole different question. That's not a question of punishing the kid, that's a question of removing a kid because his parents are causing problems for the school. But I'll call upon him the, the basic question, the basic question of do we punish children for the sins of their parents, either as a punishment or, or more to the point, as a means of exerting pressure on the parents. You know, the Gaonim and the Ramah felt that was fine, and some Achronim accept that, the Shavos Yaakov. Other Achronim, the Marshal and the Taz, are very, very unhappy with this. They reject it. Some Achronim uh, distinguish between various cases. One last contemporary tshuva, a near-contemporary near tshuva, Rabbi Tzion Meir Chayuzil, Mishpatei Yuzil. He was asked a question, the details of the question are not entirely clear, but he was asked a question also about uh, toughness in general, how tough should we be, someone is in need of correction, could we, start, uh, could we start sanctioning his kids, and so on. So he brings the, the marshal and the taz, and he mentions, as I said earlier, that, that when the taz says younger kids, he means lo only, otherwise they have independent rights, and so on. Furthermore, he adds, he says these things are... Again, going back to the question of how often did Basin actually do this, Rabuziel says these, these types of sanctions are a prerogative of the Basin. They have reshus, lo chovas Basin. Basin doesn't have to do this. Basin's not required to, uh, to, uh, you know, to, you know, to, to, to bring out the, the, the big guns for every, every single infraction, he says. It's a, it's a right Basin has to use at, at its discretion, it says. And it was meant to only be used, he says, certainly the, the authority is only to be used in extraordinary circumstances. It was only used, it was only meant to be used, it was only allowed to be used in extraordinary circumstances. A little hard to square that with the language of the Gaonim. The Gaonim's chuvas that we read earlier, they just say, when someone resists a nidui and a shamta for 30 days, it's time for cheirim, and this is the language of the cheirim, we write this letter. They don't say this is a special letter to be used to be used in extraordinary circumstances at basic discretion, they just say this is the letter that we write when we put somebody in cheirim and make it sound like it was a pretty standard thing to do. Once you met 30 days and you didn't back off of a nidui, it's time for cheirim and you write this letter. The Gaonim certainly don't sound like Rebuziel. His reading of the Gaonim does not seem, uh, does not seem plausible in terms of the language of what the Gaonim actually said. But this is what he says. It's only, it's only an option Basin has to be used when all else fails. It's not meant to be used routinely, he says. It's inconceivable that Bastin should uh, start splitting society and casting people out and creating different uh, strata of society and layers of people in good standing and not. That was not the kavana to start uh, segregating Klal Yisrael into different groups of people and uh, people, better people and worse people. Khalila, Ravazil in general, was a great lover of Klal Yisrael. He hated uh, machlokas and, uh, and division. Khalila Lalas Aladas, he says that uh, this is a destructive attitude, not a constructive attitude. Hadera Chanachoni, he says, is to try to give Musr in a uh, gentler way and to try to, uh, as much as we can, to Davin Tashem, he says, that people will improve not to go around uh, bringing out the Cherem and uh, banning people for every infraction.